So we have our reading now. It's from the book of Judges, and it's um, <clears throat> in chapter 6. And we're going to uh, hear the first verse, and then we're going to read from verse 6 onwards. So that's uh, the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 1, and then from verse 6 onwards. <clears throat> the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Aborazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favour in your eyes, Give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. <clears throat> the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, 
peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abirazites. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished and with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They each asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of a town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. That's terrific. My name's Mark. I'm part of the clergy team here. It's my delight to be with you. Excuse me one second. Long reading. Long sermon. Sorry. <laughs> Apologize in advance. There's a lot to, lot to cover. Thank you. So we're looking at Gideon. And the sermon is entitled, From Weak Man to Strong Man. Now Gideon is counted amongst the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. And yet here we see him in this passage looking anything but strong. In fact, he's a bit of a coward, if the truth be known. Now I count myself as a bit of a softy myself. Um, I have a bit of a yellow streak in me, and in particular, I don't like needles. I don't like going for shots at the doctors. Um, and I want to refer to one of my heroes, uh, Woody Allen, uh, because Woody Allen is a softy like me. In fact, that it, the stand-up he's a stand-up comedian turned filmmaker, and he's made a career out of being cowardly. And he's um, a couple of his, his famous one-liners. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Confidence is what you have before you understand the problem. And here we find 
Gideon in a wine press threshing out wheat. Now, for those of you uh, who are not farmers, uh, not agricultural, a wine press is not the right place to thresh wheat. It is small, it is shallow, it's enclosed. And wheat should be threshed on an open floor where the wind can carry away the chaff. So he's hiding. Not only is he hiding, whatever he produces is going to be pretty meager. He is hiding from the Midianites. Woody Allen. Confidence is what you have before you understand the problem. And the problem was the Midianites. And the other neighbors, who were each year would invade them, destroy their crops, steal their cattle, and lay waste to the land. They were under oppression. And into this scene, this sorry scene, comes the angel of the Lord, and he sits down under the oak tree. I don't know if you've ever imagined what the angel of the Lord would look like, but I never imagined him sitting down under an oak tree. But here he sits down. And without an opening, he makes two statements to Gideon. And Gideon is disbelieving of both of them. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And so begins a dialogue between Gideon and the Lord that sees Gideon turn from a weak man into a man of valor. Three points, three changes, three things that take place in this dialogue. He puts his confidence in God. He puts his idols on the fire. And he puts God on the throne. First point, he puts his confidence in God. In this dialogue, there are three objections. So this is a bit like charades. First word, three syllables, okay? Three objections. First objection. The Lord is with you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord is not with us, he says. The Lord has abandoned us. And Gideon right away focuses on the key thing. If God has abandoned us, there is no hope. You know, we, in the New Testament, we have many supportive and wonderful sayings. And one of them is Philippians 4, verse 6. And it says, do not be anxious about anything. Which is so encouraging. But why? You might well say, why? Why should we not be anxious about anything? Philippians 4, 5, the verse before it says this. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. It's because the Lord is near that we need not be anxious. Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Valley, shadow, death? Doesn't sound good. For you are with me. Let's take a more modern song than 
the Psalms of David, our first song. When you, we see you, we find strength to face the day. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. Okay, here's a lesson in being careful about what you complain about, okay? God completely ignores him. And he says, well, I'm glad you mentioned Midian, the Midianites. And here he ups the ante, he says, the Lord turned to him, verse 14, and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Okay. Round one to God. Second round, second objection. Go in the strength I have. Pardon me, my Lord, verse 15. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in the family. And he's right. Manasseh is the smallest of the tribes. His is the weakest clan. He is the youngest and the weakest child. Woody Allen again. Gideon might have said this himself. My one regret in life is not being someone else. He has no strength, no ability in himself. Gladys Aylward was a humble housemaid, a servant, possibly in one of the houses around here, I'm not sure. But she felt called of God to be a missionary. She was rejected by the missionary society, so she spent her own life savings, a very meager savings, on a train passage to China. Gladys Aylward's work in China as a missionary is celebrated in the 1958 movie, The Inn of Sixth Happiness. In particular, her wartime efforts to save the children in the orphanage. The role in the film is played by Ingrid Bergman. If you know the film, it's amazing. A simple house made with nothing turned into a mighty warrior. But Gladys Elwood's complaint might have been the same, and she, and she would have received the same answer as Gideon. The same answer as Gideon's already received. I will be with you. But in this dangerous second complaint, God ups the ante again. Not only are you to save Israel out of the hands of the Midianites, you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Okay, by this point, Gideon's probably thinking, can I really attempt, should I really risk a third objection? But he does. Third objection. Okay, I get it. You will be with me, but if I've now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. In other words, who are you? Are you up to it? Are you as good as your word? Are you going to stick around? And so he devises this test where he goes and makes the ultimate Rogan Josh. Okay? He gets the meat. He gets some broth. He gets some naan breads. It takes ages to put together. Comes back. The angel's still there. Well, at least he's stuck around. But then the angel does this whole prophets of Baal thing. 
He says, put the meat down, put the bread down, pour the broth on top until it's all nice and soggy. And then he touches it with his staff and it bursts into flame. And with that, he leaves. And with that, Gideon is in horror. When Gideon realized, verse 22, that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It was reckoned in those days that if you saw the angel of the Lord face to face, it was instant death. And then in a comic twist, the angel sort of comes back and says to him, peace, peace. In other words, give me strength. You're not going to die. And it's comical. It's comical. But here, after three objections, a dialogue between these two, we find that a transformation has taken place. Gideon knows, first of all, that God is with him, face to face with him. He stopped looking at himself, his own strength, and he has stopped fearing the enemy. Why has he stopped fearing the enemy? Because he's now afraid of, a, of God. He started to fear the Lord. Bill Carey was a cobbler, a shoe mender one of the most humble professions in his day. Rejected by the Anglican Mission Society, he nevertheless was determined to go and be a missionary. Bill Carey, it is estimated, put through his translation work, put the Bible in the hands of over 300 million people in his day. And Bill Carey said this, humble man. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Bill Carey put his confidence in God. Gideon now puts his confidence in God. Is he ready to go? No. No. Not quite. Point number two. Put your idols on the fire. The elephant in the room here, you see, is that is the question, why was Israel weak in the first place? And the prophet has previously spoken on this and said, I rescued you from the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hands of the oppressors. I drove them out before you and their, your land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. All of us are tempted to worship idols. Even if we don't literally bow down to wooden statues or stone gods as they would have been in those days. But when we allow something or someone to become the primary focus in our lives, we are worshiping it. it might be popularity, possessions, relationships, our physical appearance, our fitness, our career, our exam grades, our children's exam grades. Tim Keller said this, the late Tim Keller now. He said, idols are good things that become ultimate things. When your good things become your ultimate things, they're an idol. But God wants us to worship him alone. And here in the story, we see that the worship of these idols makes God angry. It keeps them from serving him 
and they make us weak. You see, the way the idols work is they continue to demand more and more of us. Here, they're worshipping Baal, who's one of the gods of their neighbors, the Amorites. Baal was a god of weather and fertility, so by worshipping him, they anticipated having good crops. But you see, their neighbors also worshipped Baal, and Baal was also a god of violence. And the very, it's those very same neighbors worshipping the same god who are destroying their crops. Baal both gives and destroys. And whatever you come to worship will make demands of your time, your money, your affection. In the parable of the sower, Jesus says that the cares of this world, the desire for other things, the deceitfulness of wealth, all of these choke you, making you unfruitful. So our idols make demands of us, they begin to define us, they dominate us, and they destroy us, they make us weak. In the 1981 film, and they destroy us, they make us weak. In the 1981 film, Chariots of Fire, the film tells the story of two people, Harold Abrams and Eric Little, Little both competing in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. Abraham's life was dominated by and had no meaning without success on the athletics field. Played by Ben Cross in the film, Abraham's says this, I'm 24 and I've never known contentment. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. I'm scared. In one hour's time, I'll be out there again. He'd be out on the running track, on the 100 meters running track in Paris. In one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 seconds to justify my existence. Our idols for Abraham's success on the athletics field become to define us to destroy us. Without success, I am nothing. I have to justify my existence. Now Gideon's family altar was built on a high place, a stronghold it's called. Our idols not only, like for Abraham's, take priority in our lives, but they create a spiritual stronghold and in verse 25, Gideon is told, tear it down. Tear it down. Tear down the Asherah bowl. Tear down the altar to the idols of Baal. And when you refuse to buy down to your idols, you are doing battle, spiritual battle, with the angels of hell, we are told. When you choose the Bible study instead of going to the gym for the fourth time this week, when you choose to send your child to a great Christian school instead of one with the best grades, when you tell the boy or a girl that you're a Christian, even if it means you might not get a second date, you're tearing down the high places in your life. You're destroying the spiritual strongholds. 
Because our idols never, never give us satisfaction or peace. No more than the Israelites would ever get to enjoy the good crops from Baal, while Baal was also destroying them. Jim Carrey, uh, another of Hollywood's uh, comic cowards, has this to say. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Our idols, our dreams are not the answer. C.T. Studd was a wealthy heir to the Studd family fortune and as his name suggests, he was a man's man. As a schoolboy at Eton, he was already privileged. He was reckoned to be one of England's foremost cricketers. And in 1882, he played in the original Ashes game for England against Australia. In 1884, after his brother died, Charles was confronted by the question, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? The next year, he gave up the game gave away his fortune and went as a penniless missionary again to China and Africa. He died on 16th July 1931, still laboring for the Lord in the Congo at the age of 70. C.T. Studd burned his idols, the idols of wealth, success and fame. And so did Gideon. So Gideon puts his confidence in God, he puts his idols on the fire, and then he puts God on the throne. Verse 26, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Literally in the Hebrew, build a Jehovah altar to the Lord Elohim on this high place, this strong fortress, in the ordered line of battle. We can see why the translators didn't write it that way. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But what's it about? Well, what it's about is what we read in Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the high places heavenly realms. When we do battle with our idols, we are on the battleground of the enemy. And Gideon's commanded to build his new altar on top of where the old altar was on this high place and to call it the altar peace, Jehovah Shalom. Now, how on earth are we going to overcome our idols how are we going to go against the uh, families, our tribe? How are we going to overcome the enemy? Not in our own strength, but as one of our songs said this morning, what we need to do is put our God suit on. Put our God suit on. Only if God is with us, because what is an altar? An altar is a place of worship, and worship is the key, both our personal worship and corporate worship. When we are here, it's said that God inhabits 
the praises of his people. It also says, be filled with the Spirit as you're speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see, God comes to inhabit. God provides us with the armor for the battle. Put your God suit on. Back to Chariots of Fire. The other character in the film is Eric Little. And Little was called to the mission field, um, uh, actually probably inspired by C.T. Studd, who was at Cambridge just a few years before him. And he is a great runner. Little was an incredible, natural, fast runner. But running is not his idol. He would never say what Abram said. In fact, he actually, if you remember the film, he chose to give up his place in the Olympics because one of the heats for his event was going to run on the Sabbath on a Sunday. And he wouldn't run on a Sunday. They found another race that he could race in, so he didn't have to do that. But in speaking with his sister in the film, and defends, he defends his decision to go to the Olympics at all instead of going straight to the mission field. And he says this to his sister. I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. But God also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Little runs for God's pleasure. He runs to worship God. You see, he chose to worship God in place of honor, Olympic honor. He was more than willing to give that up. And then he gets a chance to build his altar, build his worship, to conduct his worship right on top of Mount Olympus, on that high place that we call the Olympics. So Gideon puts his confidence in God, he puts his idols on the fire, and he puts God on the throne. Is that it? Is Gideon the weak now man now become the strong, brave man? Not really. You see, he does all of this at night because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople. He did it at night rather than in the daytime. He's still afraid. Jonathan Edwards was the person most instrumental in the 18th century Great Awakening in America. His sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, is considered to be one of the greatest, most powerful sermons of all time. And yet Edwards himself was not a strong man. He was so timid and shy that it said that he would preach even while congregations numbering thousands were falling under the power of God, weeping on their knees, repenting under powerful conviction of the Holy Spirit. It said that Jonathan Edwards would preach with his Bible up in front of his face, with his notes in front of him. So timid and shy was he, and yet used most powerfully by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 
God chose the foolish, dull things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the feeble things of this world to shame the strong. He chose Greek in the Greek. He chose the lowly things, cowards of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify those things that are. Gideon did all of this at night because he was still afraid. The brave are not those who feel strong. The brave are those who do what God asks them to do despite their weakness. So Gideon, verse 32, broke down Baal's altar and they gave him the name Jeroboam that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. In other words, come on, Baal. Come on, Baal. Gideon's ready for you. The ending of this story is, it's not, wasn't in the reading. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Eastern people all invade the land of Israel. And then it says in verse 34, then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. He got his God suit on. So, has he become a strong, brave man? No. He has become the man, the man that God wants him to be. He's become a man of valor, a man of faith, a man of history. Sorry, spirit, and the rest is history, sorry. He's become a man of the spirit. And we see later even how God weakens him even further. And he continues to betray his weakness, but God uses him powerfully. So if you're feeling weak, downtrodden, put your confidence in God, put your idols on the fire, and put God on the throne, be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray.